For the News and Observer and SP Insider, I'm Brian Murphy, your host for this episode of Under the Dome on Monday, April 25th, 2022. North Carolina's primary elections are less than four weeks away, and there are a lot of interesting primaries happening across the state. Today, we're going to talk about the Democratic primary in the U.S. House race in District 4. Uh, we're going to talk about that with two people who live in the district, uh, former State Senator Floyd McKissick and former David Price Chief of Staff Asher Hildebrandt. The 4th District covers Durham and Orange Counties, as well as all of Alamance, Person, and Granville Counties, and a bit of Caswell County as well. This is an open seat created by the retirement of Representative David Price, the Chapel Hill Democrat, who's represented the area since 1987, except for one two-year gap. And this seat is largely expected to go Democratic in the general election. So the winner of this primary, which has eight candidates, uh, is likely to be a member of Congress, and given uh, the you know, given the Democratic lean of this area, maybe a member of Congress for, for quite a long time. So we appreciate you listening today, and here's our conversation. We're joined first today by Floyd McKissick, a, a longtime member of the North Carolina Senate who represented Durham and currently a member of the State Utilities Commission. Uh, Floyd, thank you so much for joining us on the Under the Dome podcast. Thank you. It's my privilege to join you today. How interested are you in this race? Uh, you're, you're a constituent of the 4th District, right? Yes, I mean, it's a fascinating race. I mean, it's the first really competitive race, uh, you know, in decades. I mean, Congressman Price has served us all well. And uh, so, I mean, it, it's, it's interesting to see the dynamics that are evolving at this particular point in time. I mean, I think you probably got three leading contenders in the race, uh, you know. So, I mean, I, I think Ignita alum in there, uh, you know, as well as Clay Aiken and Senator uh, Fuxi, I think, you know, all of them are running uh, – you know, campaigns which are certainly noteworthy, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how it evolves. Yeah, the, the three top candidates, as, as you just explained, State Senator uh, Valerie Fushi, who, who represents Orange County, Durham County Commissioner Nida Alam, who is, is 28 Muslim and just announced last week that she's pregnant. Um, and then you have former American Idol contestant Clay Aiken, uh, who is gay, uh, and a, a gay white man is in his second bid for, for office. Um, you got a lot of the competing lanes of the Democratic Party when you look at it. Fushi is, is an African-American woman. Um, a lot of the constituents uh, of the Democratic Party are represented in different ways uh, by these three candidates. There, there's five other candidates. Uh, Ashley Ward and, and Richard Watkins have gotten some attention. They're both scientists. Um, Ward is focused on climate change. Watkins is a virologist, which takes on certainly you know, added importance in, in this pandemic climate that, that we're living in. Um, Fushi is certainly seems to be the front runner at this point. Is, is that how you'd assess the race? I mean, I, I think it's difficult to know. I mean, he hasn't done as well in fundraising as uh, others have done. Uh, both Nida Alum and Clay Aiken are ahead of her in direct fundraising. But at the same time, she seems to be getting in quite a bit of uh, support from uh, certainly one independent expenditure group. From what I understand now, they're uh, committed to spending about $775,000 toward television and a digital campaign on her behalf. Um, and, and while that's independent of her candidacy, uh, nevertheless, when you have these independent expenditure groups, uh, you know, committed to spending, you know, significant vast sums of money, uh, that, that certainly makes a difference. So while her campaign has not been very aggressive in fundraising, um, she has other outside interests who are, are trying to help. Yeah, that's the Protect Our Future uh, Super PAC 
funded by a, a, a billionaire cryptocurrency exchange founder. Um, yes, and they, they've committed about 771,000, give or take, yeah. uh, to, to support her campaign. Uh, she's also running, uh, she's gotten some bundling help from, from APAC, which is the pro-Israel super PAC that has helped you know, raise direct funds for her account. And certainly the subtext of that is, is Alam uh, is, is running for Congress would be a Muslim member um, to see the pro-Israel PAC get involved in, 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 in um, trying to boost her top competitor. There's certainly ramifications there as well. You're someone who's gotten elected uh, from at least part of this district. When, when you look at the demographics of the district, is this going to come down to, to Durham County? Is it going to come down to Orange County? There's certainly some other parts of, of the district now that, that may have different leanings than Durham and Orange. Yeah, I mean, my Senate district at times included all of Durham as well as, uh, well, I won't say all of Durham, substantial parts of Durham as as well as all of Granville County. And at some point, my district did include all of Durham. So, I mean, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's been interesting over the years, the way it has evolved. Uh, I'm pretty familiar with most of the counties in this district. Uh, certainly, Orange County is a significant player. Um, at the same time, when the election is actually held on May 17th, uh, many of the folks over in Chapel Hill would have left for the year. Um, unless you get the students who are interested, active, and involved voting early, early voting, of course, opens up on April 28th, uh, and that's a significant number of potential voters that may not be around. Um, I think the same is true over at Duke University and North Carolina Central over in Durham. So, I mean, there are dynamics that are come to play in terms of how this might all play out, and turnout is going to be critical to everything. Uh, in terms of the rural portion of this district, you think about Alamance County, you think about Person County, small part of Caswell County. Uh, you know, I, I think they're going to be uh, more moderate in their uh, thoughts and opinions on issues as opposed to those that might be more, more progressive or perceived as being more progressive candidates. You know, and so, I mean, all of that is in play. Key thing is turnout. Who's going to turn out? I mean, you don't have, uh, I'll put it like this, with this U.S. Senate race in its current state with, you know, you, you know that uh, Beasley is going to be the Democratic nominee. Uh, it's not as if Jeff Jackson's in that race any longer. He's now running for Congress. There's not somebody at the top of the ticket to pull people out to vote when May 17th rolls around. Uh, but the key thing at the top of the ballot will be this uh, congressional district race. Uh, and in some cases, people may not be that excited about it. They may not know much about these candidates. They might not you know, be relating to it. It may actually be some local races that might have the potential to draw people out more, people running for school board or whatever the district, whatever may be going on locally within those respective counties and jurisdictions that might be really more of a draw to get people out voting because of friends or neighbors or those that they know are actually out there on the ballot. And they might feel as if those are races that uh, in their own minds might be more important than even Congress. And they get there, they'll vote for Congress, but who knows how they might vote. I've covered politics long enough in North Carolina to know that the sheriff races are in many times the most important race on the ballot in, in a lot of counties. I would completely concur with that. <laughs> and, I mean, and when you think about that over in Wake County, you know, you've got a lot going on there, you know. Um, of course, Wake's not in this district, but you know you, you do have contentious county sheriff races, and you know over in Durham, Sheriff Burkhead's on the ballot. You know, so I mean, you know, it it, it it's interesting to see what will happen. Uh, you know, among young voters uh, that might be perhaps more progressive in their thought and opinion, 
Um, they don't always show up and vote on election day in primaries. They may show up at the general election. On the other hand, more moderate centrist voters may be more part of that Democratic mainstream that may turn out. Uh, certainly in this particular district, from what I have analyzed and determined, about 60% of the people that will be voting are likely to be female. So, you know, um, all these factors come into play and who knows what the, the TV commercials will result in, depending upon how much airplay they get. I hate to think that it gets down to TV commercials, which are 30, 60 second spots, completely non-substantive, purely just out there depicting a, a sense of values that one might relate to and connect with. Um, I hate to think that's the basis upon which people are making the decision, but in a year like this, it may drive certain folks to the polls that otherwise may not come and cause them to relate to certain candidates in a way that in terms of identity politics that they might not have uh, uh, thought about previously. Well, that super PAC is putting $600,000 in, in uh, television commercials as part of that big spend. So, so certainly that could have an impact. I wanted to ask you about what role you think Clay Aiken is going to have in this race. Um, you know, certainly a celebrity candidate in some ways, but someone else, someone who has run for office in North Carolina before, um, probably has name recognition or name ID on, on both of the other candidates, even though they're both elected officials from, from the district? You know, it's hard to know. I mean, I think Clay, uh, you know, a decade ago uh, would have had far greater name recognition and popularity than he has today. Uh, at the same time, you know, when people get there, uh, unless they are what I call the type of political people that track things closely, uh, like myself, uh, I get there, I know who these folks are, I know what my previous positions are, but a lot of people are not that into politics at that level. They may be coming out to vote, but uh, they're not sure, and if they see that name, Clay Aiken, and they had favorable recollections of him during his American Idol days, and uh, they might say, hey, why not give this guy a shot, you know, uh, and if he can get on TV. I have not seen uh, Aiken on television as yet. I, I have seen Fuchi and as well as alum on, on television at this time. But if he can get on television, uh, it will make a difference. I mean, the last time he ran for Congress, he did uh, defeat somebody who had been a former uh, Secretary of Commerce underneath uh, uh, Purdue's, Governor Purdue's administration. Now, he won that primary, but he failed in winning the election in that district. So I recall, I think that was Renee Elmers who won. Sure. Have you, I, I probably should ask from the top, have you endorsed in this district or have you made your, your no. support public? No, not at all. And, and this, you know, was, is, a, is a district that, as you mentioned earlier, David Price has represented it for a really long time. There have been some talk that maybe you would consider a run in this district. Um, did the timing not work? Or, or obviously there's eight candidates, so a lot of people did decide, you know, to get in this race. Yeah, I seriously considered running. I mean, I've always wanted to serve in Congress. It's one of those things I thought would be the next opportunity that I would be most fascinated and intrigued by and where I could best serve uh, folks in, 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 you know, in North Carolina. Uh, in terms of timing, it was not great. I mean, what you had in this particular year was a situation where the district boundaries for this congressional district and all the congressional districts were not determined until basically 11.45 p.m. on a Wednesday evening. And the next morning at 8 a.m., the filing period opened and it ran for approximately 10 days. Uh, you know, within that time frame, if you look at this particular district, uh, Orange County, the county that uh, Senator Fushi is, is from, at one point it was in a district with Watonga County within that 
right. 10 days before the maps were even finalized. Uh, Wake County and where it was going to be and where the Wiley Nickel was going to be in the district had not yet been determined. You had a lot of things that were moving around. Uh, you know, I went out and checked to, to kind of gauge the temperature of people. There was a lot of interest and a lot of support on my behalf. I did meet with people in many of these counties, uh, up in Alamance, uh, over in Granville, and, and I got a lot of support. People encouraged me to run. I also tried to determine how much money I could raise quickly. And uh, I was told that it was a $600,000, $700,000 campaign, and optimally you wanted $1.1 to $1.2 million. And I couldn't see myself within four to six weeks coming up with the, the dollars that were necessary to be a good, strong, competitive candidate, even though I think I would have had more name recognition than perhaps anybody in this race right now in this district. So I decided after it's careful thought and consideration uh, that, that, you know, it was not the year to get in there. And to be honest with you, when I look right now at the way the maps are drawn in North Carolina, these maps can again be redrawn within the next year, depending upon what happens at the North Carolina Supreme Court and potentially at the U.S. Supreme Court. So you can end up with a district that changes once more. I've been a part of these redistricting committees in the state Senate in the past uh, more than a decade. I know how maps can be drawn. I understand how fluid these boundaries can be. And when you have an understanding of how much these things can dramatically change, I think Durham will always be a Democratic stronghold in this state. But the other counties that you could be put into a district with can dramatically change the potential impact of Durham in a district, such as when both Congressman Price and Congressman Butterfield were representing Durham, and they right. was essentially split in half. So, I mean, we get split in half if, if my base is in Durham and my base is in Granville and some of these other counties. What does that mean? You know, you have to think about all of that. Yeah, it's an awful lot uh, of money and, and time for a job that might only last two years and, and may the district may change drastically. I wanted yeah. to um, I, 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 go ahead. I, I can conclude with this. Um, you know, you're an outside observer, ha haven't picked a candidate. What are you looking for on Election Day or in the, the days leading up to the election to kind of give you a sense of, of who might be winning this thing? Well, I, I'll be interested to see what people have in place in terms of the ground game. Um, how, who out there among these candidates is making telephone calls to potential voters? Who's out there knocking on doors to see how, you know, to increase the turnout, but more importantly, to acquaint people with who these candidates are? Uh, what are they doing in terms of a digital campaign? What are they doing in terms of things other than just television? Uh, I'm at the point where I, I understand television plays a significant role, but I want to see what I call traditional retail politicking, how many are making events, how many are getting out and being visible in the various communities in this district. Um, and, and not just in, you know, in Durham or over in Granville, got elements part of this district. Um, who's paying for TV time over there in that Greensboro market that Alamance County is a part right. of. All of these factors will influence outcome on election day. Uh, what work the Durham committee is Durham, which is doing in Durham, which is a traditional African-American organization to pull the African-American vote out. What's being done by the People's Alliance to get their base out in Durham. You know, all these factors is a confluence that will occur. And, and depending upon who has the best round game, who has the best 
capability of turning votes out in a low yield and a low voter turnout election cycle where you don't have a, a U.S. Senate candidate on the Democratic side that's going to be drawing folks to poll. That will influence what happens in this district. And uh, so time will tell. We'll see as it evolves. And I'm excited about it. Uh, I mean, I think we'll have, see somebody new emerge out of this primary who will definitely be the person destined to win in November based upon the demographics of this district. Um, you, we've talked a lot about get out the vote and, and you know, television ads and some of that stuff. Is there an issue that separates the candidates in any meaningful way? And I, I do wonder how the, the Israel issue might play in, in the district. I, I think that's yet to be determined. I mean, I think the key thing with the money that came in uh, from the what I call the pro-Israeli constituency, AIPCA, um, I, I think that was more in reaction to alum being more pro-Palestinian in, in terms of some of her views and perspective that have been articulated in the past. So I think they feel they have a more consistent ally with Senator Fushi. At the same time, when you're getting support and money in from a group like that, you have to also understand that it has potential liabilities because some of these same folks have supported congressional candidates that were loyal to Trump and the Trump constituency. And, you know, that that labeling in and of itself can have, a, you know, an impact uh, in terms of what it might do in terms of perceptions, uh, certainly in terms of one. I think it was the Progressive Caucus, the State Democratic Party withdrew its support for Fuxi after they found out what, what had happened in terms of her support from that organization. So, you know, how that impacts things, yet to be determined, but, um, you know, in terms of issues, I mean, I think they have issues on the table, but they need to start thinking about things like inflation. I haven't heard any of them address inflation in a meaningful and significant way. Uh, I haven't heard any of them talk about things dealing with gun violence and all that's occurred in the headlines in recent weeks. There's a lot that has to be that, that could potentially emerge as issues that I haven't heard any of these candidates address that would be meaningful to me as a voter and particularly as a Democratic voter going into this election cycle. And, you know, uh, so, I mean, I, I think that each has to resonate with voters in their unique way and appeal to those voters they think are going to be receptive to that message. But um, can that messaging be broader, more expansive than what I've heard? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, what I've heard in terms of messaging so far has been so superficial. It's at the 30 and 50,000 foot level and not something that would particularly impress me as a potential voter. Well, there you have it. Candidates, you, you need to impress Floyd McKissick. His vote is, uh, his vote is out there and uh, he wants to hear some more from you. I, I appreciate you joining us on this. And uh, I think this, uh, there are several primaries that are super interesting. And, and the fourth is, is certainly one of them uh, on the Democratic side. So I appreciate you sharing your uh, insight with us. And thanks so much for joining the podcast. Uh, thank you for the invitation. Take care now. And now we're joined on the podcast by Asher Hildebrand, who previously served as David Price's chief of staff and is now a professor at Duke's Sanford School of Public Policy. He's taking some time away from the end of semester crush to join us today. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thanks, Asher. I'm happy to be here, Brian. I, let's start with, with that bit about David Price's chief of staff. Uh, we, as we talked a little earlier with Floyd McKissick, uh, David Price has been in the seat since 1987. 
give give save one two year break there. Um, uh, North Carolina and, and the people of Durham and Orange County in particular are going to be losing a lot when when Price is no longer in uh, the House, especially given you know some of his prominent positions on on um, infrastructure. Uh, well, we deal a lot with infrastructure, but on on some of the uh, financial committees. What 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 is North Carolina going to lose, or what is uh, Representative Price's legacy as you see it? Yeah, well, thanks for the question. And this is something I've been reflecting on a lot since he announced his retirement. And you're right. I mean, uh, he's a, a chair of, of one of the most important appropriation subcommittees that funds transportation and, and housing. Uh, and that's that's going to uh, to matter uh, for North Carolina and for the country um, because he's been a real champion of some of those investments. Um, but I'll be honest, uh, you know, there are there are certainly some important uh, ideological and policy differences among the candidates who are running to succeed Congressman Price. But my concern uh, overall is less with uh, policy differences. I think most of the candidates running will do a good job of representing the interest of this district. Um, that said, th there's really no one who brings the kind of institutional knowledge and leadership that Congressman Price has shown uh, throughout his career. I mean, this is someone who uh, has been either studying or serving in Congress uh, for, uh, you know, just about uh, 50 years, more than 50 years. Uh, and there's probably no human alive who knows as much about the institution as he does. And, you know, that's not just an academic uh, thing. This is a time when our democracy is under uh, severe threat from many directions and where Congress has a critical role to play in, uh, in defending and reinforcing uh, the barricades of democracy and uh, to lose someone like Congressman Price who really understands uh, not just the, the role that the institution should play but how to, uh, uh, how to exercise the, the levers of power to, to help it play that role better I think that's going to be, a, a, you know, just an irreplaceable loss for, for the institution and for our country. Yeah, I talked with uh, Representative Price on this podcast, uh, you know, last last year when he announced that he was going to retire, not run for reelection. And if you're interested in some of that stuff, go back and listen to that. He talked a lot about about how the place functions. And certainly when you lose someone like uh, Representative Price and, and Representative Butterfield, that's a lot of institutional knowledge, a lot of uh, impact to North Carolina that's that's walking out the door. Uh, now, certainly, I think some may say, well, it's, it's time to get some new blood in there. And, and certainly there's some some new blood running in this race. Let, let me start with this. Uh, Representative Price has not endorsed in this race, has not made his preference known. Uh, have you endorsed in this race or, or made your preference known? Uh, I have not endorsed or made my preference known. And in fact, uh, uh, I'm not even sure I've made up my mind uh, yet. I, I think we've got a very interesting uh, and varied and diverse field. Well, that's the, then you're a good person to talk to. Uh, Floyd McKissick also hasn't endorsed or, or picked a candidate. So, um, and, and like him, you are a constituent in the fourth district, right? That's right, proud resident of Durham. <laughs> um, when, and, and we talked a lot about Fushi and, and Alam and Aiken as sort of the three candidates who, who have been able to raise the most money and sort of have the highest profile. Certainly there's eight total candidates in the race on the Democratic side. Do, do you see it dividing as neatly into lanes as, as simple demographics or, or what do, what are you looking at when you look at this race and, and what may determine a winner? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question, Brian. And, uh, you know, there's a kind of narrative that 
that this primary is uh, a microcosm of the debates that are happening within the Democratic Party nationally now or the evolution of the party over time. And I think that gets it partially right. Uh, there are ideological differences among the candidates, um, but I also think uh, that there are stylistic differences and, and even gener generational differences among the candidates uh, where you have some um, you know, who have long records of service, who have, uh, are respected and revered uh, by many in the district, um, who are, uh, you know, have, have sort of put in their time with the democratic establishment. And then you have others who are uh, uh, newer to public service, who are much less uh, patient uh, with the democratic establishment or interested in playing by the old rules of the game. Uh, and I do think that uh, that that division to me is as interesting as any of the ideological divisions. And I think it's reflective of uh, where this district is right now, where you have um, certainly lots of communities who have been uh, deeply rooted in this area's politics for many years, working hard to elect good leaders who represent them uh, and reflect the, the diversity and richness of the community. But you also have uh, lots of young people, lots of new transplants, lots of people who are just less familiar with, uh, with the, the historic record of, of some of our leaders and who are impatient for change. Um, so I, I think all of that makes this just a really fascinating race to watch. Yeah, you know, you start to look at, we play a lot of identity politics, you know, particularly uh, in the media, I think, and, and in the, on the Democratic side in particular. Um, and I would add in a compressed primary where um, we don't get a year, a year and a half like we do with presidential candidates to kind of vet people. And so you see Fushi as a black woman, uh, uh, Alam as a, as a Muslim woman candidate who, who's only 28 and is, has announced that she's pregnant. You see Clay Aiken as a as a gay white male candidate, can can they break out of those lanes, or or uh, is there a, a way to reach a demographic that's not necessarily embedded in, in demographics? Yeah, well, I mean, just uh, it, first of all, it's striking just uh, uh, acknowledging what you just acknowledged. I mean, and that regardless of who emerges from this primary, uh, it's going to be a historic change, right? And just as as a a voter and as a Democrat, it really uh, excites me that we have such a great diversity of candidates within the field, uh, including candidates from backgrounds that are not uh, traditional in politics, right? Um, now, I, I think you're right, though, that to win uh, a primary, even a Democratic primary in what is now the most Democratic district in the entire state, uh, you know, you're going to have to do more than than just appeal to to your nor uh, you know your base, and and I think that's in part because uh, again there are differences of identity among voters, just as there are differences of identity among candidates, but those differences aren't always clear cut. Uh, uh, you know, I think the divide, for example, among um, older uh, African American voters and younger African American voters uh, in a place like Durham, where I live. Uh, is going to be a fascinating thing to watch. You know who who, who supports uh, Fushi for Senator Fushi, for example, versus Commissioner Alam in that case, um, or for someone like uh, Clay Aiken, who is kind of the the, the big X factor in this race uh, as somebody who uh, is not uh, has not been rooted in Durham and Chapel Hill uh, uh, historically, but certainly has uh, roots in the Triangle. 
uh, and has an appeal that is unlike the appeal of any of the other candidates, you know, as a celebrity, as an activist, as someone who, you know, cares deeply about some of the issues that he's been involved in. Um, you know, it's just really hard for me to develop, you know, what is the typical demographic profile of a Clay Aiken supporter? I don't know. Uh, that's a good question. And, and so I think it is, it's not quite as simple as identity. We've talked a lot about the, the three candidates. There are five other candidates. Ashley Ward has gotten some attention. Richard Watkins has gotten some attention. Um, I, I don't know if there are candidates to win this, but, but when you get a large field, we start to talk about runoffs and we start to talk about the 30% threshold. Um, what are, is there a possibility in your mind that this does go to a runoff, in, in which case we'd get a, a little bit more time to dissect you know, the two candidates that go there, but um, 30% is pretty low. You, you've got to get a lot of people getting 20% to, to really um, have that be a factor. And, and maybe in the 11th district where there's even more candidates that might be likely, but how likely do you think a runoff is in, the, in this race? That's a good question. And uh, first I'll just say with regard to the other candidates that while I, I'm not gonna go against the conventional wisdom that, uh, that there are three front runners, um, I, I just will always say that I admire people who step forward to, to run for office. Um, and I love especially that both Ashley Ward and Richard Watkins come from backgrounds, uh, uh, scientific backgrounds, backgrounds rooted in the university community, which of course is so core to the identity of this district. Um, so, uh, you know, more power to them and, and the more the merrier as far as I'm concerned. Uh, as you say, uh, just mathematically, the more candidates in the race means uh, the greater likelihood that, uh, that no candidate will reach that 30% threshold. Now, 30% is not 40% uh, like it used to be. And so it is an easier threshold to reach. Um, and I think a lot uh, will, uh, we'll, we'll see over the next month or so how much additional money is spent uh, on this race. Um, but if we're in a scenario where one or two candidates uh, are really able to communicate with voters to an extent that the others can't, then I think that decreases the likelihood of a runoff. If the basic question though is that is a runoff possible here, I'd say it's absolutely possible, you know, with three candidates that up until this point have been all raising credible amounts of money and all willing to, uh, uh, to raise more and to uh, do what they need to do to communicate their message to voters. Um, we talked, I talked with uh, McKissick about, you know, the lack of turnout, not having, uh, this would probably be the top, the top uh, race on many of the ballots, although if you get to some of the outlying counties, maybe it's the sheriff's race that drives some, some people to the ballot. But I wanted to tease out a little bit of the generational impact that you talked about, and, and it, it feels like this could be a generational difference more than a demographic difference. Um, Internally, we've talked a little bit about a Biden versus Bernie race, um, and, and those those lines are kind of blurred. But but you would see Alam as the more progressive of the candidates, and maybe appealing to the the younger generation. Fout, uh, Fushi as more of the the traditionalist or or you know uh, typical Democrat, um, and maybe appealing to to an older generation. And then you get into the fact that schools may be out. The, the, the three big universities may may not be in. Um, when, when the votes are cast and what happens to those student votes. You're in the district, you're, you're working at a university, how much does all of that interplay with, the, with, um, with each other and how much of a factor could that be in May? Well, we know just empirically that uh, primary voters tend to be on average older than, uh, 
than general election voters. Um, and as a general rule, the lower the turnout overall is, the, the more uh, disproportionate uh, you know, that, that trend can be. You know, I don't know. Uh, yes, schools will be out. Uh, uh, th those of us who teach for a living will be, you know, having our summers. But um, I don't know how much of a, a difference that will make. It certainly can make a difference. What I'll really be interested in is just seeing what the overall turnout trends look like in a Democratic primary in North Carolina in 2022. Um, you know, we we saw uh, had a little bit of a test case in Virginia in 2021. Turnout was still pretty high on both sides, higher on Republican side than the Democratic side. But a lot depends on people's perception of the stakes, both nationally and in these individual contested primaries. Uh, and so I'll be really curious to see how turnout compares to say 2018. Uh, again, if it's if it's significantly lower then I think that probably bodes better for the candidates more oriented toward uh, kind of the democratic establishment. Um, when you look at when, when you look at this race, are there one or two things that we've talked about some of the outside money and the, you know, we've talked a lot about demographics. I guess what I'm trying to um, maybe distill down to is, is there enough of a uh, platform difference? Like is, it, is an issue like Israel which obviously seems to seems to have become an issue in the race uh, with with a Muslim candidate and the support of APAC for Fushi. Are there issues like that that are breaking through in any meaningful way that can differentiate the candidates? I think that's a really good question, uh, Brian. And um, you know, I I'm not totally sure it's the issue that any of the candidates want to be talking about. Congressman Price was always fond of uh, uh, saying on issues of Israel and US uh, policy toward the Middle East, that either you vote one way and have to explain yourself or you vote another way and have to explain yourself. Uh, but either way that you were having to explain yourself because you weren't going to make anybody happy. That said, I do think that, um, you know, that APAC uh, increasingly is seen as a group that's out of step with uh, the democratic mainstream, especially in a primary situation. And that certainly was my experience working with and for Congressman Price. Um, now that said, uh, uh, the source, the, the question of how much will the source of money uh, determine the outcome of, of the elect uh, of the primary? I'm not sure. I think a lot depends on what is the content of the messages that the, that uh, the candidates are running with with their money, wherever that money comes from. Um, and I don't think you'll see a lot of you know mainstream advertising about. Uh, the fine differences in uh, with regard to U.S. policy towards Israel. So, I mean, to me, the um, you know the 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 question is not so much uh, is it uh, is it okay to take money from PACs or not uh, on the minds of most voters. Uh, the question is, uh, does the the specific source of this money and the the policies that it represent. Um, put Senator Fushi out of step with with the uh, Democratic electorate, and we'll see. You know, certainly I'm not sure the Israeli policy is top of mind to voters right now. Certainly inflation, uh, what's happening in Ukraine, there, there seems to be a lot of other issues. Uh, certainly in Durham, uh, you know, Congress can't do as much, but, but the violence, um, it, you do wonder if some of the local issues will break through in, in a primary like this. I don't want to take up too much of your time. I'll, I want to leave you with this. You're someone who's, who's obviously worked for a congressperson. You, you, you've studied the issue. Are there a couple of things you're looking at as we get closer to the primary that may help you determine 
I don't think we'll get a lot of polling in this race. How, how can we as observers sort of get a sense of who's doing well, who's not doing well before the ballots get counted? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And, you know, I think it's important to point out that primaries are not general elections and that uh, things like uh, the candidates' uh, background and, and uh, history, the candidates' relationship with the voters, the work that the candidate has put in locally, you know, doing all of the, the old fashioned things like showing up at community meetings and going to house parties and attending that, that, that sort of stuff can have an impact in a primary uh, uh, that's in, in some ways greater than the general election because, you know, those are the primary voters that they're appealing to with that event. So I don't want to just be a grizzled old cynic and say nothing matters except for the amount of money spent on TV. Uh, that said, uh, TV matters and communication matters. And I think since we won't uh, have the benefit of another quarterly report between now and, and the primary, um, you know, I think just looking at who's flooding the airwaves, uh, who's flooding your mailbox, who's flooding your Instagram feed as an indication of the amount of money candidates are spending trying to communicate. And if there's relatively, uh, you know, equal uh, uh, communication happening among those top three candidates, we could very well be headed for a runoff. But if you really see Senator Fushi with uh, the infusion of, uh, of outside funding that she's had or, or any other candidate, you know, kind of really running away from the pack, that could have an impact at the end of the day. Um, because uh, the other thing we know about primaries, um, especially an open primary uh, uh, to replace a long-term incumbent, is that a lot of the candidates are just coming in without the voters knowing much about who they are. And so just seeing how they introduce themselves to voters, uh, help voters understand who they are, uh, that can make a big difference. Uh, I'll leave you with this. Uh, in your mind, and, and you've probably spoken to him more recently than I have, what, what do you think uh, Representative Price does with, uh, with the next part of his career? Oh gosh, I, uh, this is going to sound like a dodge, but I think he's not even focused on that yet. I mean, in his mind, he's got uh, you know eight months left. I guess a little uh, less than eight months left um, to try to uh, keep securing funding for transportation and housing, to try to institutionalize some of the democracy building work that he's been doing through the House Democracy Partnership. Got a laundry list of other projects that he'd love to see through. Uh, and uh, I, I think uh, it's fair to say in my conversations with him, but also in his uh, conversations with others, he's much more focused on that than on whatever comes next. Uh, after uh, the career he's had, uh, you know, I, I don't think he's all that worried about where he lands after this. <laughs> well, Asher, I, I appreciate the time. Thanks so much. I'll let you get back to, to grading those final papers and, and having those final meetings. Uh, thank you for your time. Thank you for your expertise on on this District 4 race, and uh, we're all eagerly waiting to see uh, see what happens. Thanks, Brian. Happy to do it, and uh, can't wait to hear. Thank you so much. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider, and sign up for her weekly political newsletter, also called Under the Dome, at newsobserver.com newsletters. Thanks for listening.